I don't have to tell you that today we live in a world of political correctness, don't we? Um, over the past few generations, our culture has defined what it thinks is good and bad on its own, really apart from God's Word. And um, there has been a slow but consistent march uh, to impose on just the whole national psyche, if you will, these new values, new humanistic morals. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's not only uh, fed through uh, government policies, but it's through schools, higher education, and businesses even have adopted practices and um, it, uh, adopted these new cultural values, made it business policy. And uh, there's certain things you can't do anymore, certain things you can't talk about anymore. And uh, there is this concerted effort in the culture to marginalize uh, the church, marginalize Christians. Uh, it, we're, we're seen as this kind of impediment sometimes to this secular, uh, progressive pursuit. And um, our, our belief in this fixed, absolute truth, rooted in the character of God, is uh, uh, really is an affront to them. And, a danger they see to their um, progressive kind of uh, evolving um, relative. Everybody gets to write their own truth agenda. And I would even say that the war, uh, the, the cultural war that we fight is even escalating today. Um, and in some ways, I think Christians become a little bit more timid, more secret, more withdrawn because of the cultural disdain, if you will, for our faith. Let me ask you this. What do you think would happen if our Congress passed a law and the president signed it that said being a Christian was now against the law? And if you were caught worshiping corporately with other believers, you would be rounded up and brought to a central location, and there would be this giant pit filled with lions, and uh, you and your family and your Christian friends would be thrown in because of your disobedience to the state. It's far-fetched, right? What would you do? Today's our last message from the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about a pit of lions. <laughs> We've called this series Unshakable, Thriving No Matter What Hits You, and um, Daniel is now, believe it or not, 82 years old. Did you know that Daniel was 82 when he was thrown in the lion's den? He's an old guy. Actually, 82 is not near as old as it used to be for me, but... Uh, There's so much in this story. I know we, we learned it in Sunday school probably as kids, but uh, there's so much truth in this story. And I want us today just to focus on three types of people that are a part of this story. See how we can be uh, unlike two of them and like Daniel when facing lions in our own lives. First, we need a little context for the story. I know it's familiar, but there's probably things about this story you're going to learn today. Daniel is now serving under King Darius, the Mede. Uh, he had conquered Babylon, and he's in charge now, and this is the third uh, regime that Daniel has served under. 
We had Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, now it's Darius. And he's decided to set up the government this way, the first couple of verses. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. So it's like Daniel's this general, and there's these 120 satraps, like lieutenants, and they don't like Daniel for some reason. They thought, I wonder if there is some scandal we can produce. It doesn't matter if it's true or not, but if we can just produce some scandal that will implicate him, it doesn't matter if it's uh, based in fact, but if we can just make it look true to convince the king, maybe we can get rid of this guy and uh, maybe we could say we overheard him talking, having a conversation with a foreign leader and uh, I'm not going to go there. They realize something very quickly, though. Look what it says in verse 5. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. He's just too godly. He's, he's, too, he's too honest. He's, his character has been seen in the culture. None of these other things are going to be believable. Uh, they're going to have to devise a scheme that attacks his faith, that puts his faith in direct conflict with the state. So they concocted this plan. They went to the king with it. Look at verse 6. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. <laughs> you got to love this. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O King Darius, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it may not be changed, which was Mede and Persian law, once the king signed it, it was unchangeable even by the king, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Now, if you were king and all of your subjects came to you and says, we want the whole kingdom to bow down to you, would that appeal to your ego or what? He doesn't think anything past that and the consequences that that might mean, especially not of Daniel, who he really liked. But he thought, oh, I really would like the whole kingdom bowing down to me and worshiping me. So what does he do? Verse 9, therefore King Darius does what? Signs the document. That is the injunction. So the first type of people I want us to look at are the satraps. And here's what they're like. They're jealous, self-seeking, but most of all prejudiced. They just felt like, we Babylonians, it's just not right, this just Jew, Daniel, who was uh, taken prisoner from Jerusalem and brought over, and uh, he's not one of us. Why do we have to listen to him? Why is he our boss? It's just not right. Have you ever felt shortchanged, overlooked, or treated unfairly? That's the way these guys felt. 
they had a natural entitled right to be in charge. Not this foreigner, not this guy. I thought of a, a situation that maybe illustrates the point. Let's say um, it'd be like someone here working uh, for a Texas company and you produce, let's say, cowboy boots. That's pretty Texan, right? And uh, they hire a new boss, and he's from New York City. That's just not right, is it? Some of you are going, I'd quit. There's no way. That's why I ask the question, are you prejudicing against certain people? You're thinking, it's okay to be prejudiced like that, right? I mean, think about it from this standpoint. What if the guy from New York City is really nice? Oh. What if he grows the company? What if the owners are always talking about how much they love him? You hate him more, don't you? You see, the problem with these satraps, they felt because of who they were, they were entitled to the position. Not because of their integrity, not because of their hard work, and not because of their value to the, the kingdom of uh, Babylon. And so my encouragement to all of us is, don't be a satrap. Don't be a satrap. The second uh, person is King Darius. And King Darius is ashamed, he's guilt-ridden, but most of all, he's fearful. He's fearful. News came to him. Uh, Daniel, he's not bowing down to you. He's not obeying the injunction. And you, you signed it, remember? You got to throw him in the lion's den. But you see, he liked Daniel. And it says he became deeply distressed. He knew he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den, but no doubt he had heard about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, hasn't he? <laughs> he had heard about Nebuchadnezzar, you know, crossing Daniel's God, and he had to be out and eating grass with the cows for seven years in Belshazzar. He was just dead that night. <laughs> it says the king couldn't sleep. It says he started fasting. Now, wouldn't you do that? <laughs> and it says he even went without entertainment. I mean, that's drastic, right? He's thinking, what have I done? All because of my big fat ego. I, Shouldn't have listened to these people who were just buttering me up with their flattery. I'm such an idiot. I just wish I could go back in time and change all of this. Have you ever felt that way? And he's gripped with the fear of the consequences that are about to take place. So we have the satraps gripped with jealousy and hatred, and we have this king gripped with shame and fear. And what's so amazing about this story is whose life is in danger? It's Daniel, and yet all of the chaos is with everybody else in the story. What's Daniel doing? Just sitting in the window, talking to God. 
sitting in the window talking to God. Daniel, faithful and honest, but most of all, fearless. You know how the story goes. Daniel is thrown in with the lions. And then we have this scene the next morning, verse 19. The king is pretty anxious, by the way. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. (laughs) The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, you can just imagine the scene, right? Servant of the living God. Where did that come from? Has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, I've got to tell you, if I were Daniel, I would have just let that hang there for a while. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I don't know how long it was, but then he spoke. O king, live forever. And Darius goes, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also towards you. O king, I have committed no crime. Daniel chose to stand with God no matter what. It's an inspiring story. And I I want to draw three conclusions about what it means to stand with God when you're facing lions. First is this. Standing with God makes you not care in a good way. (laughs) Standing with God makes you not care. In a good way. You see, the satraps, King Darius, they were all concerned so deeply about their life. I've, <laughs> everything mattered to them. I'm not getting the right position. I've got to bring him down so I can come up. And uh, They're concerned about their power. They're concerned about their livelihood. And uh, You put it in today's context, people are so concerned about their money and their career and their future and their investment portfolios and their retirements and they get all upset when others don't treat them right and everyone feels compelled to throw in their two cents about what you're doing and uh, everybody wants to get even or everybody, whatever. Daniel, he just doesn't care. I remember when I was a young pastor and uh, I was wanting to make my mark in the world for the kingdom of God and, uh, and in this day and age, that means getting more people into your church, right? If attendance was down, guess what I was? Down. Every once in a while, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but people got upset with me. Some of you are going, I see that. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Every once in a while, there would be people who were leaving the church, and it tore me up, and they intended for it to tear me up. <laughs> because I had not done whatever it was that they wanted me to do, and uh, they wanted to punish me. And uh... Then one day, the Lord and I were having this conversation. 
And he basically said, you just can't care. I thought, what? You can't care. He said, newsflash, you're not perfect. You make mistakes. You're probably going to make a lot more mistakes. And, uh, but the truth is, I've called you. You belong to me. This is about you and me. You care and it bothers you so much because you think this is about you. Don't you think that's a line he shouldn't have crossed? I mean, honestly, right? You, you think this is about your success, your little feelings. He didn't say that exactly. I just threw that in there. But. Don't forget, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. It is my spirit at work in you that bears fruit. Any success you think you've had, you haven't. <laughs> it's my success. Your, your only concern every day is to be with me. <laughs> Just let me live in you and rest in this relationship that we have. I'll take care of everything. When you care... I got to tell you, fear will paralyze you. And I hope you understand what I mean here, but when you care about worldly things, it's fear that grips your soul. And when you care, if everyone is liking you or not, you fear that they won't someday. When you care and you put your whole heart into your financial security, you rise and fall with the stock market or with every loss or every gain. and uh, Even when it comes to your personal safety, <laughs> we put ourselves in his hands. Just like Daniel. Another thing about standing with God, it presents the opportunity for a miracle. Can you just imagine for a moment what may have been running through Daniel's mind as he sat in that window, knowing the consequence of his action? <laughs> Here we go, God. Here we go. I really can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. <laughs> Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now on his roof, in his roof chamber, where he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he simply continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Faith. What a remarkable demonstration of faith. He, he knew, I'm crossing the line, there's no going back, I'm all in, I'm jumping off the cliff, if you will, and... Uh, But what man is trying to impose upon my life conflicts with my devotion to my God, and uh, I'm with him. They'll have to do what they have to do, but I'm with him. 
You know, it's like I said a few weeks ago, everyone wants to see a miracle, but nobody wants to be in a situation that requires one. <laughs> I want to see God do stuff, but I would like for Him to get rid of the lions before they throw me in. Right? Yet we know in our minds, God takes the problems, God even takes the huge crises in our life and uh, can reveal His glory right in the midst of it. Many years ago, Cindy and I moved to California and we pastored a small church. Uh, we knew that God had called us there. And... Um, after getting there, we'd moved all the way from Florida and we'd come all the way across the country. And after getting there, uh, I realized that uh, they couldn't pay me what they said they were going to pay me. Surprise! So in my very first board meeting with them, I cut my own salary substantially. I told the secretary, hey, we can't afford you. That went over really well. Uh, it was a difficult, even impossible situation. I, I immediately began looking for extra work. I told the board, I said, I'm going to I'm gonna have to get outside work. Uh, I started looking for a second job and uh, wasn't having a whole lot of luck. And then one day, I just received a phone call from a music department at a local Christian university. And uh, I'm not sure how they got my name, but uh, they were wondering... They know that I was new in the area, I was pastoring this church, but they wondered if I had any interest in teaching some private music lessons at the school for about 15 hours a week. What do you think I said? It, it, uh, it was a miracle in so many ways, because not only did it make up more than the shortfall from the church, it became an oasis for me. Leading the church through that first year especially was just, it was transitional, it was difficult, and it was hard. And every Tuesday and Thursday, I'd get in my car and I'd drive up to 57. <laughs> and I would go to this wonderful place and work with young people doing something I, I love doing. And uh, in many ways, God was telling me, I got this. I got this. I am greater than your problem. I'm greater than any problem you'll ever have. Thirdly, standing with God requires abiding in Him. Abiding in Him. I mean, we talk a lot about this exchange life, this, this, this life where we have uh, been set free from the old us and now we've been ushered into this life with Him and we live with Him and we live this moment-by-moment -moment relationship within His grace because we have come to the conclusion that we don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. He does, and so we're going to embrace His power and our weakness None of us have what it takes. We need the very living presence of God. And there was something about Daniel. Even the pagans, even the 
unbelievers knew there was something inside of him, something that was intuitively, they just knew that it wasn't, he was not an ordinary human being. Something was living in and through his life. Look what it says back over in 5.11, where the queen said this about him. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Speaking of Daniel. King Belshazzar, in, in the same chapter, verse 14, says, Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Verse 16, But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. They didn't know exactly how to describe what lived in Daniel, but they knew it was something not from this world. No ordinary person can do what he does. They said it's the, it must be a spirit of the holy gods, and I would say it's the Holy Spirit of God. Daniel lived in this abiding connection, this moment-by-moment relational connection with God Almighty, empowering him, giving him wisdom, giving the right words at the right time to say, and uh, this constant intimacy, Lord, I need you for this situation. Lord, what is it that you want me to say here? Lord, what is it that this dream means? Lord, how are you going to handle the lions? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You can be Daniel, just like him. Well, I hate to put it this way, but there's not a whole lot, of, there's nothing special about Daniel. There's something very special about God. The Daniel that we read about in here is a Daniel who is a man who's just saying, Lord, whatever. Whatever you want. Somewhere along his way, Daniel, it just, he got it. It it clicked. He realized, my life is not about this world. (laughs) Taken captive as a young man out of Jerusalem, taken over to this other place called Babylon, never been there, never knew. I don't know anything about it. I'm just going to live for God and see what happens. In, in the portable during this hour, there's a Sunday school class going on with, uh, and Rick's teaching it, and uh, uh, there's, this, there's this graphic in the book that they're, they're looking at right now, and I want to put it up here on the screen, this, this line graphic. And it talks about that there are two realms, and these two realms coexist, and there's this unseen eternal realm that is going on in the midst of the, unseen, of the seen and temporal and... Uh, as, as Christians, we've been called to live above the line, if you will, and to see the, the temporary, visible world through the lens of the eternal, unseen world, because reality is really above the line, folks. That's really what's going on, is the eternal workings of what we see in the visible world. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. 
2 Corinthians 4, he says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, we don't get our truth from that, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are just temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. And I think about this. I read this, and I think about this a lot now. Am I, go, am I living above the line? I'm, I'm facing this situation. Am I living in, in an eternal, unseen kingdom, or am I just enmeshed and just fretting over the seen, temporal situation? Am I going to live up here, or am I going to live in this dog-eat-dog, uh, trying to get ahead, make things work kind of world? Or am I going to live up here where I just don't care? <laughs> That's the way Daniel lived. The scene realm below the line would say, if you keep praying, they're going to throw you into the lion's den and it's going to be bad. And if you live below the line, you are scared to death. Everybody else in the story living below the line. You see the lions and it only makes sense to close the window and at least pray where they can't see you. That's what you would have done, right? But living above the line, I stand with God and uh, he's greater than Darius and he's greater than uh, any beast. He's greater than anything. If he wants me in heaven, he'll, he'll let the lions make short work of me, please, Lord. <laughs> And I'll go to heaven, I win, and uh, if he wants to leave me here, he'll shut the mouths of the lions, and the world is just going to have to deal with that. So I ask you, what situation, what group of lions in your life right now is there, and you need to look it straight in the face and say, God is greater than you. What, what fear is it? You need to look straight in the face and say, God is greater than you. What, what past event that keeps... Controlling your future, what past failure of yours, what shame, what... And you need to look it straight in the face and say, God is greater than you. It is time for you and I to just sit in our windows... <laughs> And let the whole world see, <laughs> we love Him. And you all can just deal with it. 
1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God who always, get that word, always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every single place we go. And 1 John 4, 4, you, Christian, are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he, what, that is in you than he that is in the world. You're not going to be afraid of some little kitty cats, are you? Because that's really what they are compared to him. Let's pray. Father God, you know the situations that every person in this room faces today. You know the source of their worry, the source of their fear, the, the, the problem that they've been bringing to you in their prayers and just saying, Lord, this needs to be fixed or this needs to change or you need to reach this person or you need to... And their angst and their confusion over what's going on is growing. And uh, they look at a story like this and they know exactly how the satraps are feeling. Or they know exactly how the king is feeling. And they want to know exactly how to live like Daniel. And I'm praying, Father, that in these moments of, of closing in this service, that there will be the root of faith that is so real in them that they believe in a God who does miraculous things even today, even in their life, even in this situation, and that you can be trusted and they can begin to live their life not only with their head above water, but living courageously, knowing that this world is not their home. It is a temporary existence that one day they will be forever in the very glory of God. And they have great hope. They have great faith. Father, I pray for those that uh, today are mired in their sin and maybe have never taken the step of faith in you. And uh, They understand this story. They understand the people in this story who are confused or jealous or scared because that's their life. And I pray in these closing moments that they will come to you in faith and say, Lord, I believe in you. I want to live this kind of life that believes in a God that is greater than my problems, that a God is greater than anything I can see. I want to live in this unseen, eternal kingdom and be governed by it, Father. Grant us faith. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.